For decades, America has struggled to combat the harms of drug use, but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong. What if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us? Our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end. Join us on the journey to end it for good. Welcome to the End It For Good podcast. I'm Christina Dent, your host, along with Mike Madison, my co-host and producer. I'm really excited for you to hear my interview with Peter Mushant, police chief of Antwerp, Belgium. I saw a video on Peter's life where he talks about his brother's struggle with drug addiction. And he says in that video, I was too much a cop and too little a brother. I was really fascinated by his journey and I'm honored that he's joining us today. We talk about his experiences with his brother's drug use and Peter's career enforcing drug laws and the friction that he felt and the surprising way that he's resolved the conflict. Here's Peter's story. Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, I would love to hear how you got into policing. Well, it's a, it's a long story. When I was young, um, there was an opportunity to go into military high school, which was kind of an elite school. I had to pass some exams, do sports tests and whatever. Uh, I succeeded and, and, and when you were in this military high school, at the end of it, you have to, it was, it was the rule that you continue doing the military academy, which is high school, university level, college level, university level. Uh, and at that time, the federal gendarmerie, which was the state police, was still part of the army. So I applied for a position in the, uh, in, in the state police, which I, I also succeeded in, in getting that position. And then after a few years, the state police demilitarized de and became part of the Ministry of the Interior. So that's more or less my, um, but like every young guy, I also applied for a position as a fighter pilot, uh, but I didn't get that position due to my, my eyes weren't uh, strong enough. Anyway, I, it, it, it's more or less like um, a continuation of something that I did when I was very young. And I have to admit that going to this military uh, high school was also kind of a, of a, of a um, how do you say it, flight, is that the correct word? I was running away from home, that, mm, that's correct. Mm-hmm. My, sister, my sister is a psychiatric patient. She has been diagnosed schizophrenia borderline when she was nine years old and I was six at that time. Mm. So we always uh, had to live through psychosis, hysteria and so forth. Psychiatry wasn't developed at that time as it is right now. So we lived in an environment that is nobody has uh, is to blame, but it was not really nice to live uh, at my place when we were younger. And I ran away in uh, military high school, which was, uh, I didn't come home anymore. It was uh, intern, internal, so we, we stayed there for during the week. But my brother, who was six years younger than I was, uh, was not able to escape. And maybe we can come to that issue a bit mm-hmm. later in the, in, in, in the interview. But um, I think he also ran away, but he didn't have the opportunity to run away in a military high school environment. I think he kind of ran away in in using drugs uh, because it was not really a nice environment to live in. Um, That's one of the explanations. There Mm. might be many more explanations why he got into drugs. But this is one of my theories that that also contributed to uh, to, to um, to the problem. Yeah. So how did you think about? Yeah. How did you think about drugs when you 
entered your police work? Well, I was a trained police officer in the military. So you can imagine that I was kind of um, brain brainwashed is not the right words, but it is, it is still, it still is the main um, doctrine opinion that using drugs is bad for your health. We must fight dealers who are trying to get people into drugs because drugs are not healthy. Um, and they create people that are uh, lazy and, 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 and so forth. I think that's the main doctrine that is behind actual drug policy. And, and that time, now I'm speaking about 25 years ago, it was uh, even worse than, than it is right now because now civil society has more impact on policymakers. But at that time, it was, it was not an issue. So it was the main doctrine. And you can imagine that in state policing, uh, this is what we were trained to do, and this is what we were learned to um, to to imply, to to enforce. Like using some kind of drugs is a criminal offense, and we must fight users, and more in particular the users that are also dealers, and and then even more in particular the dealers who are getting our young people into troubles by selling those. Uh, terribly st things that, that, that cause addiction and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I was really trained and, and I must admit that I was not really critical of, of, towards what I have been trained. And then a certain moment I was still uh, in college, university, I think. Uh, then my brother started doing, doing drugs cannabis like most of young people start with like he was a skater and there can be no more cliche than what my brother has gone through he was a skater he like he loved the kicks uh and he started using cannabis um but pretty soon he was 14 when he started using drugs uh before he was 18 he he set his first injection of heroin so he was really um into heart use uh, very quickly. I don't use the words soft drugs or hard drugs. I'm using the word hard use of drugs because you can also hard use soft drugs. Um, that, that's, that's my, I don't think there is a mm -hmm. difference between soft drugs and hard drugs. I think it's the way you are using it is making it problematic or not problematic. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, when, when I was making a career in first military policing and then uh, civil policing, he was making a career in his drug use. Um, and he also loved kicks, something I do too. So there were some similarities. And that's the reason why I say he escaped in drugs because when he came home, it was not a nice environment to live in. On the other hand, it also it might also be possible that there might be a psychological, psychiatric um, disease behind his use, that he used drugs for kind of self-medication. It is all possible. At that time, I was convinced that doing drugs was his own fault. He was, it was his responsibility and it was his choice. Um, it was only after he died that I... I yeah, it was very abrupt. When your brother dies, you, you, you always take it for, it's a possibility. When he's using heavily, it is a possibility that one day he will no longer be there. But it is also far away from you. It happens in other families. And at a certain moment, you get a phone call from, it was a Dutch police because he uh, overdosed in Holland. Uh, your brother is dead. And then it, it's, it's irreversible. And then you start mm -hmm. thinking. It's, and, and it gave me a lot of uh, guilt. I'm still struggling with the feelings of guilt because I, um, 
and I know it doesn't make sense because everybody say you shouldn't be feeling guilty and blah, 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 but it's my right to feel guilty and I feel guilty. I should have been more open-minded when I was still alive. And that's something that is, uh, that will hunt me for the rest of my life. I think in more, in, in one way or another, it, it is always there. I'm always thinking of it. Um, but, but, but on the other hand, I can still function. I can still live. I have a family, but it is still there in my head. Even if he's dead now for, uh, 14 years, is, is that 14 years is in 2006, he died. Um, so, so yes, I was really into the war on drugs. I was trained to do so. We, um, uh, I wasn't even aware of the very artificial distinction between some kind of drugs and others because alcohol. And it is funny because in the same training at the university, we got uh, courses from pharmacists and from, from uh, uh, physicians talking about the effects of this kind of drug on the body and the mind and that kind of drugs and what are the effects and you have... Uh, uppers and you have downers and all that and then even then I wasn't even critical about so why are we cultivating the alcohol um, because Belgium is a country of the beers and we are so proud of our beers but it is a hard according to some people it is a hard drug uh, as I said I don't use the words hard drug nor soft drugs but you can uh, hard use alcohol um, and I think a lot of Europeans and even all over the world are using alcohol in a very problematic way and then you can then then, then you have the other drugs that are on the list of the prohibited uh, substances and then we are going to fight everybody using it even on a small doses even if it's completely not problematic then we are making them criminals and we are going to hunt them down and put them in jails and, and find them and create more more harm than than the drugs or the use of drugs is, is doing. Uh, I wasn't critical at that time. It be, I became critical after my brother died. Way too late, of course, but that's how it is. That, that's uh, more or less the way it went. Mm -hmm. So what helped you on that journey of kind of rethinking? I mean, there, a lot of people will have some kind of event maybe that that is you know deeply impactful or uh, event of deep grief like losing a loved one but it doesn't it doesn't really help them down that road what what helped you down the road of kind of zooming out and considering what actually caused this what what was that play here that could have been different well I think that um, I think I'm coming back to my sister and and I had a very good relationship with my brother when he was uh, sober or even when he was not sober. I had a very good connection with my brother because we had this same issue hanging over our heads and all around us, which was the the disease and the situation of my sister. We, we faced the same problem. We are two of a kind, two brothers and one sick sister who was really impacting the atmosphere in our family. So... I ran away towards the military and I think, and maybe that's only my narrative in my head, it is possible, but he ran away in drugs and that made us connected. And in a certain moment, he was dead and I was still alive and I was having 
compliments from all over my environment because I was making it and I was selected in the military academy and I, I was appointed as the chief of, of, of whatever. I, I was making a real good career and I got acknowledgments and, and, and positive reactions and feedback by everybody and he, being in the same position as I was, he was stigmatized, he was the loser, he was the criminal, he was the junkie. And that didn't make sense for me as a brother. So when he died, um, there was something in my stomach, in my belly that said, this is not right. What, 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 what has been happening here? And I started to reflect on everything that has happened. And, um, and then you're, 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 I, I, I became more open to, uh, to other imp impulses. I, I, I actually reached out I, uh, to organizations. Uh, I looked on the internet for uh, web pages. I started reading about drug policy. About, um, and I wanted to do something with people involved in problematic drug use. And that is more or less the way I got into contact with anyone's child. And anyone's child is a campaign from Transform Drug Policy Foundation. It was the first time, and they really opened my eyes because I read their their text, um, their uh, their written documents, and you can find it and download them for free uh, on their website. And that really opened my eyes. And their story really made sense. It was based on logic arguments. And I'm still against drugs. Really, do not misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm absolutely against drugs um, i'm against abusive use of alcohol i'm against abusive use of cannabis but i'm even way more against the hypocrisy in in drug policy i think what happened to my brother and what happened to us um, as a result of drug policy made things worse for instance in belgian law it is prohibited to facilitate the use of drugs by for instance providing a room to use drugs that meant literally that we had to kick my minor brother out of the house because we knew he was doing drugs we knew he was using sometimes drugs in his room uh, but we also could be prosecuted because we were facilitating the use of drugs by allowing him to use drugs in his own room so we really had to kick him out of the, so we, we, we made him homeless when he was still a minor, just because the drug laws prohibited the facilitation of the drug use. What I know now, I would never, never kick him out of the house and I would allow him to use drugs in his room, even if I was facing criminal charges, because at least he was using in a pretty rather safe environment. Now he had, we, we pushed him outside and he had to use his drugs outside in the streets, uh, in underground parking garages and, and, and so forth. So if he was still alive and he was still using drugs, I would allow him to use his drugs in a safe way on, in his own room. Uh, that's, for instance, one of the, the, the hypocrisy of drug policy. If you read the text and you read the international treaties, we want to decrease the use, uh, so the consumption or the demand, and we want to decrease the supply, the, the production. Um, so that's what's written in, in the text. What is not written in the text is by doing so and by trying to uh, enforce international drug treaties into national law and so forth, we are increasing the harms and we are increasing the dangers of the use of 
illicit drugs. And that is what is getting me angry sometimes. I'm also still a chief of police. I know I'm still raging the war on drugs every day. I'm not doing the streets, but I have my uh, investigations uh, units. I have my detectives. I have my first line patrol officers. And we do what we have to do. If not, I cannot accept the pay uh, check that I get every month. But on the other hand, it's sometimes really um, knowing what we are doing and seeing the harm that we are always um, uh, increasing towards not only the people who use drugs, but also their families their relatives um, and, and, and increasing the threshold towards uh, healthcare because we you can only be um, how do you say it pop, pop, pop. now um, uh, like harm reduction is a very difficult word in Belgium it's uh, and, and I think all over the world still not speaking about some countries who are really progressive but harm reduction is not even written in the international uh, text um, but what was I saying that in Belgium you can only be um, not using anything. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the word. Maybe you should, like maybe abstinence. you can help me. Abstinence, yes, yes. All healthcare is abstinence based in, in Belgium, which means I think my brother, whether he was uh, um, running away from reality, whether he had a psychologic, psychologic or psychiatric uh, disease behind it, his use, I think a certain moment he passed the line and he should, I don't think he would be able to be ever completely drug free, but he could still be alive if, for instance, healthcare or social services would not only be based on abstinence, but also acknowledge that some people will have to use drugs like in Switzerland, like in other countries when you can heroin assisted treatment and so forth. He could still be alive just by allowing other kinds of um, help for people in trouble and and these are the negative consequences of of prohibition and and actual drug policies but it is a very difficult one way or another it's very difficult to convince people that that um that there is that that there is no logic in this policy whether a substance is dangerous for somebody then you should prohibit all substances that are dangerous for people including alcohol, tobacco, sugar, whatsoever. But people are not rational uh, human uh, beings. Right. We, we, no, yeah. we, we make irrational choices all the time. So using substances that are not really healthy or good for our... We do it all the time. We go to, to junk food, restaurants, we, we take sugar, we, we don't do sports because we are lazy. We do all the time risky behavior that's what makes us people but then when it comes to some products we put them on a list and we put a complete organization of law enforcement the military the prison system to fight people who are using or doing that kind of behavior it's like it's like adultery a few years ago not so a few decades ago it was still prohibited in belgium so we were allowed as police officers i still i, I was i was I even I even had this this practice that we could enter a, a bedroom of people at five o'clock in the morning just to to see that people are having an affair with somebody they are not married to. You have mm -hmm. to imagine that that we were even entitled to to violate this, the the house the peace of the house just to check whether people are sleeping with their own partner or not. 
we are laughing. If if I'm if I'm using this as an example in Belgium when I'm when I'm doing speeches and whatsoever, then everybody says, "Yeah, what a stupid reality." Uh, but but then again, when it comes to using some drugs, it for the most people it still makes logic. So it's 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 difficult. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can I can mm -hmm. keep on talking. So please ask me another question. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was that like? I mean, so you are you a lot of times I'm talking with um, former police officers. They've retired or they've you know gone into consulting or something like that. But you're still an active police chief in Belgium. Like you you go to work every day and you're a police chief, mm -hmm. and yet you've changed your mind on drug policy and on legalization. What is that like for you as someone who's in law enforcement um, to have changed your mind? Well, I have written two books. Um, I, I, that's one of the things I was thinking about after my brother died. I know that a lot of police officers uh, or judges or prosecutors or prison guards speak out after they retire. I said, what a, what a terrible brother would I be if I'm also it and, and shut my mouth until I'm retired. And then now I have the knowledge and listen to me because I didn't have the book when I was still active, but now I will speak and listen to me. I'm, no, I, I, I said, if I, if I want to, if I want to fight hypocrisy, I have, I don't have to be hypocrite myself. Um, so I wrote two books, and for public, uh, for public relations uh, concerns, I was, I, I gave lectures, and uh, people invited me to speak out, and I did so. I also had a lot of trouble in my professional environment. I had uh, several disciplinary investigations, uh, whether I was uh, abusing my freedom of speech, whether I was still uh, integer enough to fulfill my duties and so forth. I wasn't the chief of police at that time. So I applied for a position of chief of police in the middle of my activism. And you can imagine that um, the jury of uh, those, those uh, for those positions is constituted of the district attorney, the governor of the province, uh, the inspector general who is... Uh, checking out of integrity and deontology of, lo of, of local and federal police officers. Um, so it was a really um, a jury of, of, of high-level uh, government positions. And for three hours in a row, they really questioned me about the freedom of speech and the possible... Um, uh, um, the, the possible problems that, that could occur during my job because being chief of police of, of, a, of an investigation unit who is fighting the war on drugs according to national law and then you are, you are the chief of police of them and then you are expressing yourself in public against what they do and so forth, how do you can combine those different positions. Now that I'm a chief of police, I also engage myself not to speak out anymore in public in Belgium. Um, because just out of respect for my own people, uh, they, we don't make laws. People, police do, doesn't make law. We must enforce them because the day that police is starting to make law, we are a very terrible place to live in, I think. I think the people elected by the people uh, should make the laws, and it is police who have to uh, execute them. The way in which we execute the laws is something we, we have control over. So... What I do towards my people is always treat people with respect, always treat them as human beings, even if they have a drug problem, even if they are really uh, an addiction problem, problematic drug use, even if they really uh, are homeless and whatsoever. 
always treat them with respect, but you have to follow the law because people trust police officers who follow the law in a correct professional manner. Um, so out of respect towards my own officers, I don't speak out in public anymore, but I still support other organizations like LEAP or uh, the Eurasian Harm Reduction Association or uh, what I do for you now, um, doing an interview which will be broadcasted abroad. Those things I still do. But uh, in Belgium, I'm, uh, as long as I'm chief of police, I will no longer speak out. But I did speak out as a deputy chief of police uh, for about three, four years. So everybody knows what I'm saying, what I'm standing for. I have written two books, so everybody can refer or relate to my books. They're out there, they're open for everybody. So I did what I had to do. I spoke out. I, uh, I hope I have inspired some people to speak out too. Um, I think I definitely have influenced a lot of police officers in Belgium as well. But I think it is, a, it is still a good thing. And, and now I'm speaking as a law enforcement officer in a democratic uh, country that it is not to police to dictate the, the, the law or to, to write the law. We must uh, follow the law, abide the law and respect the law in the first place um, just to, 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 to maintain the legitimacy that, that, that we need to be able to act uh, professionally. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was not easy, but I, I, I had to do it. There was no other way. I could not wait just until I was uh, retired because I'm only retiring in 15 years or so. And then my brother will be dead for 20, 29 years. I think that's a stupid thing. If you, if you stand for something, I think you also have need to have the balls to speak out. But I did it in a correct way. I, I, I looked, um, I did some research. How far does my freedom of speech go as an active police uh, officer? I cannot attack institutions. I cannot attack persons. I, I can speak out. I can be critical, at least in Belgium. I'm not sure that in other countries it's the same. But in Belgium, as, a, as, an, as an official, I can speak out. Uh, but it is not an absolute right. It, there are some, some limitations, there are some boundaries, and I always respected the boundaries. But mm -hmm. it, it still made people nervous. Um, but I had two disciplinary investigations and, and even uh, services who are controlling police um, didn't find anything they could, they could, uh, they could punish me for. So... Uh, so it was in all transparency, in all openness. Um, um, so yes, uh, I did what I had to do, and and, and they made yeah. they even made me chief of police afterwards. So okay, yeah, so that's <laughs> encouraging. That yeah, that people can can speak out, and it's not you know I think everyone is worried it will be the absolute end of you know their career, whether it's a politician or someone in law enforcement or somebody who's uninvolved in either of those, but just thinks, you know, they'll, they'll be a social outcast. Um, I've found, you know, here just, I mean, I'm in Mississippi in the United States and there's so many people that have changed their minds and have changed them quietly. And one of the things that we want to do is help people to be able to publicly say that they've changed their minds, which helps other people then to enter the conversation. And it, it, it speeds up that domino effect of, realizing just how many people realize that we need to do something different with drug policy. So as we close, what do you think, leave us with, what do you think, 
the world would look like if we ended the drug war, we brought drugs back into legal regulation again. What do you think we have to gain that people could could see kind of as a vision where they wouldn't be maybe as afraid um, of legalization, but really could catch a vision for the kind of world you think we could have? Well, I think that there will still be drug abuse. There will still be addiction. There will be maybe an increase of addiction. And I don't, I don't think that's, that should be a very terrible idea because, um, as I said, people are irrational issues. And you have difficult times in your life. You go through a divorce. You lose somebody. You do stupid things. And then you get your stuff together. And you, So there might be an increase of uh, drug use definitely in the beginning. There might even be an increase of addiction and problematic use. But there will also be a lot of gaining um, in the cost of uh, law enforcement, the military. There will be an increase in employment because the, 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 the drugs will still be used. They will always be use of cannabis but when it's in a regulated system you can employ people you can get them a decent paycheck you can get them honest work um, and if you, there is some trouble which always occurs in a society you can address the legal system when you have a problem when you are in an illegal market the only thing you can address to is violence intimidation and so forth so Will there be? Will there still be problems? Of course, there will be problems. It is naive and stupid to 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 think that uh, people who are, or that's what they re, that that's what they say sometimes. If you go to a legal or regulated system, do you really think that criminality will disappear? No, of course it will not disappear. There will always be criminality, but when we are talking, when the focus is on healthcare on the well-being of people, uh, not only the people who are using drugs, but their uh, environments. And, and after all, using drugs is a, non, uh, is a crime. There are no victims. It's something different than a robbery. It's something different, different than homicide. Uh, this is something I do to myself, to my own body. So there aren't even other victims. I think the, the, the gain is in society will be a better place because also healthcare will be, the threshold will be much lower. You will be able to go to a doctor or uh, somebody who can help you without the stigma. If you're now going to a doctor and say, listen, I have a problem using my, I, I use too much alcohol or I use too much cannabis, there's always stigma. Um, and alcohol is even less because we all cultivate the use of alcohol but when it comes to illicit drugs, then it is a stigma, it's a problem. In another society where drugs are legally regulated, then you can go to a physician or a therapist or a psychologist and say, listen, I have some problems with my use of, and the threshold is much lower, you can, you can address. So there are so many benefits. Um, I know that law enforcement and the military, for us, it's easy work. We like it, it's, it's fun. Even for me, it's it also it, it, it's always something personal. But for people who have not lived through addiction uh, in their personal environment, it is fun work. You have a, you find the drugs that are enlisted on the list of prohibited products, and you have a criminal, and then you can start working. You have criminal uh, organized crime, and for police officers, this is fun work. This is what we do. This is what we are trained for. This is what we chose for as a career. But when we look at health care issues and other indicators, um, then, then you, for instance, less overdose, less casualties, uh, more health care. If you use those indicators, 
then you must uh, conclude that prohibition is one of the worst policies in the world. Wow. I have tremendous respect for Peter and for what he's doing. That's what we hope to see millions of people doing, publicly sharing their change of mind, especially while they're in positions of influence. Because the sooner that we do that, the sooner we can end our harmful drug policies. But there could be a cost to that. Peter's gone through several investigations, like he talked about, because of his public support for um, legalization. But it's worth it to him because it could spare other families the heartbreak that his own family has experienced. So that's something that every one of us can be part of helping people understand what's happening and inviting them to change their minds. So is there one person you can think of who could benefit from hearing Peter's story? And would you send this episode to them? It might seem like a small thing, but it's not. It can open someone's mind and it can put them on the path to learn and change. Changing drug policy is a chain reaction of a lot of small touches that over time can change minds and change the world. Let's do this. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.